I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz Now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Hey there, it's Michelle here. Are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? I totally get how exhausting that can be. As a nervous system expert, I want to teach you how when our nervous system isn't functioning properly, it shows up for us mentally, emotionally, and physically. Are you always tired? Do you really have trouble concentrating? Maybe you find that you're just perpetually busy and you can tend to be a bit of a workaholic. Yep, those are signs of dysregulation. Do you often feel edgy or irritable? Or maybe you struggle with people-pleasing or low self-confidence. Those are signs of dysregulation too. How about in your body? Have you struggled with IBS or, or gut issues? Maybe you struggle with insomnia or you have migraines or You feel like you're always sick. These are all telltale signs of a dysregulated nervous system. So if any of this sounds familiar, you've got to register now for my free live virtual workshop, the Mom Brain Masterclass. I'm hosting it on May 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to teach you all that it takes to rewire that mom brain of yours so you can have practical tools and understanding for everything we just talked about anxiety, overwhelm, burnout, all the things so that you can really be that calm, centered presence in your home and at work. And don't worry if you can't make it to the live event, just be sure to register today and I'll record it for you and I'll send it out to you via email afterward so you don't miss out. Can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. 
I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey guys, welcome back. You are listening to the Calm Mom podcast. I am your master coach, Michelle Grosser. So grateful you're here. So excited for today's conversation. I am speaking with Kamini Wood. She is a fellow certified professional coach. You guys are going to learn so much in this episode. She is so, she's just such a great coach. Um, and she's really going to help broaden your understanding of a lot of things that you probably face on the day to day. She specializes in helping people take those courageous steps that they need to, to identify things like their limiting beliefs, the reasons they feel stuck or stagnant, um, why they might be experiencing feelings of inadequacy or not enoughness. So really they can have the space to do and be what they want, right? Both prefer personally and professionally so they can live a fulfilled life. Yes and amen. We all want it. So she helps high performers. She helps high achievers, maybe even overachievers like some of us listening who have seen success through those old rooted traditional metrics and she reestablishes their relational self-awareness. So all about that. She helps them understand how they think, so powerful, the beliefs that might be holding them back. And then once we have that awareness, you guys know that's when we can really make a change, right? That's when we can come home to joy, come home to fulfillment, come home to this newly defined um, definition of success, right? Success driven internally rather than from external validation. So I think you guys are going to really love this one. Enjoy. I can't wait to hear all of your feedback about it. Um, let's dive in. All right, Kamini, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today. I'm ecstatic to be here. This is going to be great. I was just reading through your bio on your website before we started. And I'm like, man, this is like the bread and butter of what I love to talk about. We're going to talk about limiting beliefs today. We're going to talk about, you know, worthiness and all of these beautiful things that help, I think, encourage and empower and equip women. So before we jump into all of that, though, I would just love it if you just told us a little bit about you. I know you're a fellow mom. So maybe just a little bit about you personally, and then also like the work that you're doing these days in your professional journey. Sure. So personally, I am based in North Carolina. I originally am from Connecticut. I am the mom of five. My oldest is a 21-year-old professional ballerina. I also have a 19, 16, 13, and nine-year-old. All they, they range it goes girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. So a nice little pattern there. <laughs> and so when I'm not momming and doing all the things in terms of being a dog parent as well, because we do have two dogs as well. Professionally, I am working with individuals one to one on helping them identify where their own false beliefs or limiting beliefs might be holding them back or things like external validation or those external metrics that we use to define success. 
I help them understand and become aware of those things, those old narratives and stories. And together we work to move through that so that they can move forward both professionally and personally. Because what I've learned is that both things tend to be very intertwined. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. It's like that saying of how we do one thing's how we do everything, right? It's like hard yes, to separate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That. Okay. So one of the things you talked about that you work with is limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a cool place to start because I think there's a lot of like information out there, I think, about mm-hmm. limiting beliefs. Like if you follow motivational speakers or like all these personal development pages on Instagram or whatever, you're constantly being fed all this information about limiting beliefs. So I think it's something we hear, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't necessarily understand the extent or the scope of how that actually shows up practically, right? It's not always just like, I'm not enough. I think it runs like an undercurrent under a lot of our patterns of thinking. So can you just share with us, like when you say limiting beliefs, what are some of the things that you see frequently coming up? Sure. And in, uh, to your point, I think we hear about it in the mainstream media so much, but there is, there's somewhat of a misunderstanding of what we mean by limiting beliefs. So I tend to use the word or the words false beliefs mm. because it, it, what that leans into is a false belief about self. And so a lot of times what I'm seeing that I'm not good enough is a huge one, but there are other false beliefs such as I'm unworthy or I have to prove my worthiness. I'm unlovable is a big one that I come across when people are having trouble maybe finding that partner or maybe they've been in the toxic relationship and they have been gaslit to think that there's something wrong with them. So they start to take on this false belief of I'm unlovable. There's also the, the false beliefs of I'm, I don't belong or that I'm not good enough, that I'm not good enough, but then also that they're, I'm bad, right? I'm, I'm just a bad person. I see this a lot with overachievers where, you know, at the surface level, they're, they're criticizing themselves for, let's say, not having, not having accomplished everything on their to-do list. And so through our work, we'll keep diving down. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And eventually we get to, I'm bad. I'm, it's top of mind. Cause I was just talking to a client about this yesterday. And as soon as we, sort of were able to name that she kind of had this aha moment like oh my gosh that's the undercurrent false belief in most of what when my inner critic gets super loud that's that's the belief underneath it but we're so used to just looking at the surface level stuff that we don't realize that there's that false belief that's actually to use your word the undercurrent that is actually driving how we're showing up in different aspects of our life Mm. And just that awareness, I think, can be so powerful, right? Like sometimes we're not even aware of how deep these patterns run. We're just like, oh, this is how I am. But it's like, no, this it's is how it's I am. Not. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I hear a lot is, well, this is how I've always been. And yes, I get it. And I totally honor that. And it's also recognizing that it's just because you haven't been aware of what was actually that undercurrent. And now that you're aware I routinely will say awareness is the doorway to change. Yep. Then it's up to you to make the commitments to walk through that doorway and make shifts or simply just be aware of it and continue doing what you've always done. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the the, the decision comes in, right? Like the power that that holds to, to make a decision to change or not. Exactly. But exactly. Love that you kind of started out with high achievers because I think that's a lot of our audience. And as high achieving women, I think having that loud inner critic or maybe some of these limiting beliefs or false beliefs like you call them I love that 
has served us really well in a lot of ways because we expect a lot out of ourselves and it becomes this like motivating force. And then I think also just being high achieving women who are also raising kids, it's like we care a lot, right? Like we care a lot about doing a good job and showing up in the best way we can for our partnerships and our marriages and obviously our children. And I would love to kind of have a conversation also around why it can be difficult for us to extend ourselves compassion when these false beliefs start coming up. And then why compassion really can be such a powerful tool as these awarenesses, these new awarenesses arise and we start to navigate a new pathway of thinking. Yeah. So to what you just said, we, I'm a high achiever myself. I own it. And I, and pretty much everybody that I work with are high achievers. Yep. And, and you're absolutely right. This, it becomes normalized. That inner critic actually becomes normalized. And the belief around that starts to become, if I don't criticize myself or I don't hold myself to this really high standard, I'm going to start to slack off or yep. some, some, some ball is going to drop and then that's going to be my fault. Right. And so really the, the beginnings of that work is to recognize that that, that in and of itself is a false belief that I have to show up this way and beat myself up in order to move myself forward. Mm-hmm. The best story I have ever heard regarding this is, you know, if you have a donkey who you're trying to get to carry stuff from point A to point B, you have two options. One is you can hit the donkey with a stick and that donkey will get to point B bruised, battered, and not have any inclination to do anymore. Or you can lead that donkey offering a carrot along the way and praising the donkey and saying, you know, basically encouraging the donkey. That donkey's going to get to point B, is going to still have a lot of energy, is going to enjoy that carrot, and is going to be ready to keep going. Yes. And we forget as individuals that we have that same choice. We can either beat ourselves with that eight, with that metaphorical stick, or we can actually be self-compassionate, which is the the carrot, essentially. Yeah. And we, when we get to point B, we have the resiliency to keep going if we choose to do, to operate from a place of self-compassion versus allowing the inner critic to beat us up along the way. Yeah, I love that. So true. And I think, especially as high achieving women, I think, at least in my experience, what I've seen is that women are so quick to extend compassion to everyone around them, right? (laughs) To our kids. And we like teach them how to have compassion. And, you know, we can preach it and teach it and coach it all day long. But then when it comes to ourselves, it's like a whole different standard. And I'm wondering, just in your experience, like how that's tied to just worthiness and receiving and, you know, all of it together. Well, it's really interesting because if we think about it, when we can't even receive our own compassion, are we really truly receiving it from anybody else? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, and, and you're right though, it is so easy to give other people compassion and we are just so hard on ourselves. But the truth is when we can come from a place of kindness versus self-judgment mm-hmm. and ask ourselves things like, okay, you know, this thing didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. What did I learn and how can I grow versus beating ourselves up? That's going to contribute to higher self-esteem, higher self-confidence, but moreover, self-acceptance. And self-acceptance is coming to this place of acknowledgement that we are these individuals doing the best we can, making decisions with whatever information we have at the time, and we're continuing to show up day after day. And that's the best that we can ask of ourselves. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's so true. And I think something I'm learning to like extend to myself and others, and it just keeps getting reinforced the more that I coach and the more just life life experience that I have, is that I really believe that everyone 
is doing the best they can in that particular moment with the resources and information that they have at that time, right? So like I always try to remind myself when I lose it or snap or have a moment that I would be really hard on myself. I'm like, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but that was the best I had at that moment. Like I'm going to resource myself differently next time or whatever it is, because we're all trying. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think as parents too, sometimes we will have a challenge that pops up and then we want to beat ourselves up of, Oh, I should have done it this way, or I should have done this. And the truth is, we we have more information in the current moment than we may have had in, in that past moment when we made a decision. Yes. And we can't go back and undo the past anyway. Yeah. So instead, can we look at it and say, okay, this is where I am now. What did I learn? What can I garner from this? Mm-hmm. And then trust yourself to continue to move forward and make the next best choice. Yeah. Rather than beating ourselves up for a choice that we made in the past. Yeah. The next best choice. That's That's powerful. What I hear through this too is really the superpower of curiosity. And I think that's something I'm like trying to teach my kids too. I mean, they're still young. They're like only almost six and four. But even now, like when I hear something judgmental, I guess, for lack of a better label, come out of their mouths and like try to to steer them. And I'm like, okay, let's get curious about this. Like, yeah, maybe that was mean or whatever. But like, why? Like, why do you think maybe she felt like she had to say that? Or why do you think? (laughs) And we can turn that on ourselves. Like, whoa, like I just completely, I don't know, snapped at my husband. Like instead of getting super critical, I can be like, why, why did that come out there? Like what, what did I need that I wasn't getting or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. Curious that word. I use it a lot in, in, with my clients. And so they sometimes will tease me and say, Hey, to use a comedyism, I got curious. And so we, we always, (laughs) we, they, they tease me about it. And I actually find it amazing because I do, I, I really, challenged each person that I've worked with is, can we get curious instead of judgmental? Because yeah. sometimes kindness is a big jump when you haven't been kind. So can we get in the, in the middle and start with curiosity? And yeah. then we lean into compassionate curiosity. And now before we know it, we're, we're being compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. And every everything that we do is in service of having some need met, right? And, and a lot of these, like we talked about awareness, we're just not even aware of them. So I love that curiosity because there's a reason for everything we do, even though it's not apparent on the surface, that curiosity can just really open up so much more awareness that I think then can lead to compassion. It's like, oh yeah, no wonder I snapped this morning. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't slept through the night in four years or whatever whatever it is. It's like, come on. Oh, so good. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I want to ask you just on a practical level, when these false beliefs do come through and we're starting to notice them, you know, the patterns run deep and Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how you're coaching people through like a good starting point on how to like, I know that what we resist persists. So it's not just Mm -hmm. a matter of like shoving that false belief aside or pushing through it or whatever, but what's the best way? when these things do pop up in our minds to really deal with them in a way that's like healthy and actually helps us to grow and heal. You're absolutely right. If we try to push it away, we're not, it's going to come back. I, I That's one thing that I'm absolutely sure of is we yep. can try to avoid something or try to numb it out, but it's never, it's not going to go away unless we're willing to actually see it. Yeah. So that's actually what we, we do with the coaching is around acknowledging and noticing that you're having that thought right? Because it's just a thought. Then you have a choice point as an individual to believe that or to ask yourself questions, what's actually true about myself or 
You can even lean into your own value system and make choices and take actions that are aligned with your value system rather than putting all of your energy into thinking and believing that thought. But yeah. the, the point there is that it's important to notice the thought because if we don't notice it and we just try to, like you said, push it aside, we're just giving into more of it simply by the fact that we are, it's like saying, don't think of a pink elephant. And then all you can think of is a pink elephant. Exactly. It's going to come back. It's going to come back. And those, and just understanding too, that kind of what we talked about earlier, but just that resignation of like, this is just how I am that will further deepen that pattern that you're in, right? So it's like understanding that it is just a thought, but then you do have like, that's where your choice comes in about what what to do about it, do something differently than you've been doing before. Right. I mean, we always have a choice of what, you know, we're going to have thousands of thoughts a day. And it's about being aware of which ones we're putting our energy into. So just like you said, what we resist persists. Also, we if we put energy into believing that thought, well, that also is Mm going to be the truth, right? So it's about choosing for ourselves what we, what we want to put our energy into and what story we're actually writing for ourselves. Just because maybe in our childhood, we took on a false belief of I'm not good enough. As an adult, we get to choose whether or not we're going to continue writing that story or whether we are going to look at who we are as individuals, look at our value system, look at, you know, how we show up and make the choices from there. Yes. Yeah. Our words and our thoughts are like such powerful, self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm -hmm. We really do have to be so mindful about what we allow to land in there. You know, these weird things pop up and we're like, okay, am I going to let this land or not? Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit. And then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns, and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two minute personality patterns quiz. So you talked about a little bit about value systems, and I think that's kind of a good segue into a discussion about how boundaries play into all of this. Uh, So can you just tell us, I guess, first what you mean by value systems when you say that, and then kind of if there's an interplay between what your values are and then the boundaries that you, that you hold to, to stay in alignment with those values. Yeah. So when I'm talking about value system, I'm really referring to realigning with rediscovering, you know, just really bringing to the, the forefront and the awareness, what your core values are. Because of the, the 
the ages that I work with, because I work with people from young adults all the way through to mature adults. One thing that I have seen is that that transition from young adult into adult, oftentimes we will continue to carry on or uh, beliefs around the values that we grew up with. And mm-hmm. we don't take the time to slow down and ask ourselves, what are my core values as my individual self? What are like, you know, the top three to five guiding lights for me? Also, when we are high achievers, we tend to overfunction and overgive to others. Yeah. <laughs> We're constantly taking care of things for, yeah. for everyone else around us and making sure that, you know, things, not just things are taken care of, but people are okay in our world. And, and we forget to check in with ourselves. So when I'm referring to value system, what I'm really referring to is making time to figure out what are your guiding lights? What are those core values for you that, you know, at the end of the day, those are the things that matter most to you. Because from that place, you can make choices around things like setting boundaries. Because when you know what your values are, you can then recognize what's okay and what's not okay mm-hmm. in all the different life domains, right? So we're talking, you know, relationships, both romantic as well as just general familial and social. We're talking mm-hmm. finances. We're talking environment. We're talking health and wellness. You know, we're talking career, you know, all, and there's, there's about eight different life domains, but what we do at that point is ask ourselves what's okay and what's not okay. And if we're using our value system as our guidepost, and that guiding light, it's very clear. And we can set those clear boundaries with people on what we're willing to accept and what we're not willing to accept. Yes. And for those of you listening, when she talks about these value systems, like if that seems overwhelming or even just novel to you, and you're like, whoa, I've never actually sat down and thought about like what's important to me, not like what my family, you know, impressed upon me or societal or religious or whatever, but like actually my values. There are even, you can even like Google values, like lists of values and start kind of combing through them and see the ones that are really resonating. If you need a starting point to figure out, like she's talking about what's actually important to you, because like I think that can be an overwhelming if it's new. And then the other thing about boundaries too, as you were talking is I think a lot of times there's this assumption that boundaries keep things out, like they're meant to keep Mm -hmm. things out. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think another like beautiful way or sometimes when I try to think about setting boundaries that might feel uncomfortable it's like I really am actually trying to keep those values or the things that are important to me in right like boundaries are one of the best ways that I protect my joy and my Mm -hmm. peace and like all the things that I want to keep in because if I think of people in my life like are very anxious or negative or pessimistic like and I actually think about I'm like oh they have pretty poor boundaries or they have no boundaries at all. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a correlation there too, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. And another way to think about boundaries, because I do think that people get nervous about setting boundaries because they, they do think that they're cutting people off. Yeah. The best analogy that I have been able to come up with around boundaries is it's just like building a fence. You know, you can still see through a fence. You can talk through a fence. You can open a door and let people in and out through a fence and also fences can be moved. And that's the important thing about boundaries is you can shift them as you shift and grow. They can be shifted as well. But what they do do is give your, give a line around and the ability to, as you said, allow people in and keep them in or allow things and and such into your world and keep them in and also keep the things that don't align with who you are as a person or align with your values outside and not accept those and bring them into your world. Yes. And then I think also too, sometimes when people think about boundaries, they think about a lot of things that we're talking about now with 
relationships or others, but man, it's so important that we all have boundaries with ourselves, right? Like just boundaries around like my, what I do with social media, boundaries around Mm -hmm. what I consume in, in culture or, you know, all of it. It's like, it's, yeah, they're relational, but they're also really, it's really important to have personal boundaries too. Absolutely. And including with the inner critic, right? Setting boundaries around the inner critic. Yes. What I'm going to accept and what I'm not going to accept <laughs> for my own self. <laughs> okay. So talk to me more about this because this is so good. So if people have or they struggle with their inner critics, I think to some, to a certain extent, we all have an inner critic, but we have a different yeah. relationship with it. How can, if someone, if that's something that is really hitting with someone right now, how can they set a boundary with their inner critic? Again, it comes back to noticing, right? Mm-hmm. So noticing when the inner critic is triggered, for instance, and noticing also what the inner critic is saying. Yes. And then recognizing that that's just part, that's, it's a part of you. That, that inner critic is a part of you and is, is showing up for a specific intention. Yeah. A lot of times the inner critic is showing up to try to, you know, maybe keep us safe from something or protect us from something. So if we come from a place of curiosity mm-hmm. and we simply ask, okay, what's the purpose here? What's this, what's this voice trying to tell me or what's this voice's intention? And we can name that. Now we can actually almost in a sense, thank it, be like, oh, that's great. Glad that you're trying to do that. And also I don't, I don't need to maybe a- attempt to work through this challenge, yeah. listening to that inner critic. Instead, again, coming back to values, I value, name the value. I can actually take this action instead. Mm. Right. So it's recognizing it goes back to that whole idea of what we're going to put our energy and, and sort of emotions into. It's do I, want to put it into that inner critic or do I actually want to kind of notice what it's trying to accomplish and find a different route to do that? Yes. That's something that I love teaching my clients to do too, is to just journal to that inner critic and with it, because once we can realize or recognize it, like you said, it's highest intention and we can actually acknowledge and thank it for that. And then we're like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not seven year old Michelle anymore. And I don't need you to protect me in the same way that you did when I was seven. Now I have all of these resources and a different network and different um, relationships in my life. But I love how you said that we can actually kind of reassign that that inner critic, right? Like instead of you talking down to me or whatever it is that the inner critic shows up barking at you in your ear, you can say like, hey, maybe we show up in this way. Like this is how I'm motivated now, or this is how, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's that changes the dialogue. That's really beautiful. And that change in dialogue also re-empowers us, right? Because now we're making that empowered choice rather than being reactive, we're being generative. So good. Yes. So with boundaries in general, I kind of want to keep talking about this because I just think it's so important. People who are new to setting boundaries or that's something maybe they've struggled with people pleasing and this is something that feels very... I don't know. It's just very uncomfortable to set a boundary. Maybe it feels disrespectful Mm. or mean or whatever. How can they, one, maybe reframe that a little bit? And then two, is there a way that they can go about preparing themselves and like setting these boundaries from a place that that comes from so much love so it doesn't Mm. feel disrespectful, I guess, for lack of a better word? That's a an amazing question because there are so many elements to it. So I'm going to try to see if we can take it in pieces. The very first thing around setting boundaries and the fears around it many times, especially if you're a people pleaser, there's a fear that if I set this boundary, that person is going to leave me and, yeah. and, or be angry with me. Yeah. And the truth is they may, may very well, <laughs> but they're also, it's also a recognition that the, 
the people who have the biggest issues with the boundaries that you set are the people who are benefiting from your lack of boundaries in the first place. Yes. Yes. And it's really important to recognize that, that they were benefiting from your lack of boundaries. And the truth is you were not benefiting at all. Mm. You were actually being hurt by the lack of boundaries. So it's just, a, it's a, it's a reframe and recognizing that yes, when you start setting boundaries and you haven't had them, people are going to have a reaction because they're human. Most people like when you throw a pebble into the water and there's a, there's a ripple around that pebble, eventually the water settles back down. Most people are going to acclimate and be like, oh yeah, she's set some boundaries. Got it. Like I know where I stand. Everything's great. We, we maneuver in this new dynamic. Mm-hmm. Some people will have that reaction where they are not willing to negotiate and allow you to set those boundaries. I call them boundary busters. <laughs> and that's when that's when you have a choice point to ask yourself, is this dynamic or relationship something that is actually healthy for me? Right. Yeah. The other part of what you were talking about in terms of people pleasing, I do think that it's really difficult for people pleasers to set boundaries because there is this really really, I want to say like this, almost like it, 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 what's popping in my head. And I actually had a a Facebook post about this recently is Monica Geller from friends where she talks about being an uncontrollable, she has this uncontrollable need to people please (laughs) because a lot of people pleasers and I'm a people pleaser by nature too. There's a really hard line between, you know, being caring and then overgiving. And with people pleasers, there's such a need to ensure that everybody around us is okay and happy. And sometimes it comes from a place of, you know, feeling like maybe there's something wrong with us if somebody's upset with us. Or sometimes it comes from a place of proving worthiness. Or sometimes it's just a real fear of conflict because conflict has this really bad connotation rather than recognizing that conflict is actually a mechanism to continue to grow and evolve. It's Mm -hmm. taken on this, this other meaning that it must mean that maybe you're bad Mm -hmm. or, you know, the relationship is doomed. So with people pleasers, it's really important to take time to just sort of ground oneself and to come from a place of a kind of connection with self before trying to set the boundaries. Because a lot of times with a people pleaser, one of two things is going to happen. They're trying to set boundaries from a disempowered place of, and a, and a place of fear because they're just, they're, they haven't gotten to that place of being able to connect with self. Okay. What do I actually need? What do I actually value? And then setting boundaries from that empowered place. And instead they're coming from this very reactive place or the converse happens, which, which actually happens with high functioning codependence, which is they're, they're in a resentful place. And so now they're setting boundaries from almost a place of resentment and anger, which then comes across, you know, could, could be very harsh. And what we want to do is get to that place of connecting with self, being sort of grounded in self, really coming to terms with what works for me, what doesn't. And then to use your words, a loving way of doing it is to then have compassionate conversations with people, mm-hmm. uh, which we, you know, if we really look at Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication style, we can come from a place of this is what I'm noticing when this happens in my world, you know, this is what I need and, or this is what I feel and this is what I need. And then we request the boundary. And that's a way that we can lovingly set boundaries with people. Yes. Yes. For those of you listening, I have a whole episode on nonviolent communication. I'm going to link it in the show notes too, because yeah, as we talk about boundaries, it's a beautiful framework that you can use to really empower yourself. And then enter any conversation with anyone really from a place of compassion that doesn't immediately make people feel defensive or like Mm -hmm. they're, you know, being attacked. So that that's a great place to start. Thanks for bringing that up. You mentioned the term high functioning codependency. Let's 
jump into that mm-hmm. a little bit. Tell me more about what that means and, and, and how it relates to all this. So the first time I really heard this concept was I was reading something by Terry Cole. And so the best way that I can just, or that she describes and then I sort of made it my own because Mm -hmm. I I have to put it in my own words for me to understand it. So when I used to think of codependency, I always would relate it back to uh, like like addictions and being codependent on or dependent on somebody to like kind of take care of another, right? So codependency in my brain was always around like addiction or addictive behaviors and patterns and essentially just necessarily needing that other person and kind of losing your own your own identity. High functioning codependency refers to this idea or on the outskirts, outside looking in, you think this individual has it all put together. Everything's like great humming along. And on behind closed doors, what's actually happening is over-functioning, over-giving, losing oneself completely to the needs of another. So again, on the outside, looking in, it's almost like a high-functioning alcoholic where, you know, on the outside, it's like everything is fine. They can manage their whole lives from the outside, but behind closed doors, they are so dependent on alcohol. Mm-hmm. A high-functioning codependent is similar in the sense that on the outside, it looks like they've got everything under control, but behind closed doors, there's a lot of fear. And also there's just this constant need to overfunction and overgive to somebody else, which then does lead to resentment because eventually that person feels completely underappreciated and unseen for all that they're doing for the other person. And it does relate back to codependency because as they're doing this, they're losing their own identity, losing their own needs, wants, desires in deference to the person that they're basically functioning for. Yeah. And I feel like we can slip into this so easily in motherhood without oh my gosh, realizing yes. it, yes. right? Because it's like yes, all of a sudden yes, our, yes. we wake up one day and we're like, who even am I anymore? Except that someone's like servant or whatever it is, all the ways that we show up, probably with our partners too. But I'm just wondering if we feel that kind of creeping in or showing up in our motherhood or maybe even our, in our marriages with our partners, how do we begin to regain our identity? Like what's a good what's a good starting point for that? For that, I I will generally talk about taking some time to actually identify your own needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because many times with codependents, what happens is they lose track of what it is that they even need mm-hmm. and everything is about the other person. Mm-hmm. And so when you take the time to recognize and name what your needs are, then you lean into your values and start making those those decisions as to how you want to move forward. And it's really important to take the time to bring to the awareness where you are over-functioning, right? Where am I doing something for somebody else that they can actually do for themselves? Yep. And how can I, now we're going to utilize boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. How can I set a boundary around this? And how can I clearly communicate what I will do and what I won't do from a loving place, a compassionate place, but really honor myself in this process? And it is really difficult when we are in that codependency mindset because there is this underlying fear that I'm being selfish by doing this. Mm. And it's really important to slow down and recognize that doing, taking these actions to move to interdependent relationships rather than codependent ones is actually a very selfful act. And what I mean by that is as you make these moves and these switches and you are, you are taking care of your own needs, it's selfful in the sense that you're doing that and then you're able to show up in a more complete way in relationship with those individuals. Mm. Otherwise, when you're showing up, you're actually showing up as a, like a, 
a small section of who you are as a person rather than your complete self. Yes. So everyone who just heard, just heard company explain this through that explanation, my invitation to all of you listening is to really shift what you identify as self-care because this is true self-care, right? It's not a one-off massage or pedicure or whatever, yes. you know, social, like whatever social media wants to tell your culture wants to tell you self-care, like setting boundaries, learning what your needs are, learning how to express them, remaining intact with your identity and shifting out of these high functioning codependency relationships or dynamics like that is beautiful self-care that is life-giving self-care that is self-care that will make you a better mom and a better wife and not to mention like a happier more joy-filled human being because you deserve that yes yes (laughs) yes that's beautiful okay one more thing I want to talk to you about before we jump off today and it's just that in in all of these things, I think that we've spoken about false beliefs, setting boundaries, high functioning codependency. I think we can, we can listen to this podcast and we can hear all of these things and, you know, we can go online and find a framework for setting boundaries or maybe even like a script on how to talk to, I don't know, our mother-in-law to set a boundary or something. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times it's all in our heads and we forget the rest of our bodies or the rest of our nervous Mm -hmm. system. So then we show up to have this conversation, but maybe we're so dysregulated that it can't even come out how we planned or we find that, you know, one comment and then we're reacting and it's just not going well. And I wonder what you would say to coach people before they walk into these situations where they're going to be doing something new that might feel a little uncomfortable you know, some practices they might be able to incorporate to really get their bodies regulated and on board so they can show up how they want to. That is actually a great and and also point that you're making there. And I think it talks and it leans into what I coach around, which is mindfulness and being in the present moment. Mm. Because if we are like, for instance, if we're getting ready to have this conversation and we're already anticipating what that other person is going to say, we are actually future tripping and we're, we are not even in this present moment and our bodies are great measuring tools as to where we are in a given moment. So before we have the conversation, checking in with our body and noticing, am I holding on to any tension? Where is the tension? Really getting kind of clear as to, am I in a grounded state or am I in a triggered state? Right? Because if we're getting ready to do something new It is nerve wracking because it's outside of our comfort zone. So taking some time to actually ground ourselves and to bring ourselves into the here and now and into connection with self is so important before going in to have these conversations. And it's also about reminding ourselves that we only have control over how we show up. We don't control the other person. And so really it's about giving ourselves permission to release attachment to how somebody else responds and reacts. Yeah. Because no matter how many different ways we cut it up in our heads and visualize what's going to happen. And then I'll say this and then I'll say this. And it, it, we're not in control of that. All we're in control of is being in the present moment, recognizing, you know, where we are. And, And also here's the other part. When you start having those conversations and you're noticing your body tensing up and being triggered, it's okay to take a time out and to remove yourself from that situation. Say, you know what, let's come back to this conversation. Just because you've started a conversation doesn't mean it has to conclude in that moment if you are in an emotionally triggered state and you know that you're going to start reacting in in a way that feels disempowering. Yeah. Yes, that's so good. Such a good reminder. And that applies for 
all of our conversations, right? Does that just be when we're setting boundaries or doing exactly, exactly. Ah, uh, that's a that's such great permission. So so thank you for that. I love it, man. This has been so good. I'm believing that the people listening are just kind of had some light bulb moments today. Maybe saw themselves in some of these scenarios we talked about. But the beauty is that none of us are stuck where we're at, right? So if we feel like we're identifying with some of these false beliefs or people pleasing or the codependency, you know, there's there are resources available for all of us. So that first step, how Kamini was saying, was just the awareness. For those of you that got new awareness today, that is a huge step. So just just celebrating you in that. But Kamini, how can people stay connected with you? How can they find you? I know you also have some like courses and programs. So tell us a little bit about what you've got going on and where people can connect with you. Sure. So my website is commonywood.com. And then of course, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, all with the handle It's Authentic Me. Mm-hmm. I do have a couple of short programs just around kind of reconnecting with selves, also around stress. I'm working on a, a longer program around uh, treating yourself kinder instead mm-hmm. of really leaning into that self-critic. I'm hoping to have that course out by February of this year of 2023. And in terms of other things that I'm working on, I'm constantly working on trying to figure out ways to offer information to individuals to help them with things like that. So I do keep my blog updated. So definitely, if you're interested in more articles, just just for a resource, they, they can also be found on my website. Amazing. Wow. Well, this has been so great. I know I already said that, but really this work that you're doing, I think is so important. And I think this is the work, kind of how we mentioned at the beginning, that really infiltrates all the parts of our lives. And I love that your that your handles are It's Authentic Me, because really that's the pursuit, right? To just find mm-hmm. our, our authentic selves so we can show up in that way. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, Your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.